Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 67 of the Corona Diaries. Oh, actually, everybody's got to be quiet because H just appears to be taking a slight power nap. He appears to be cuddling a bottle of tequila. <laughs> and that seems to have brought him round. I've put it, I've put it down. Have you put it down? I was dreaming about um, somebody said put it down. So I've put it down. Right. And there we have it. Good morning, how are you? Ah, well, I'm a bit slow, if I'm honest, although that was a pretty rapid response to your question. Yes, it was. So one could argue that I'm arguing with myself and I'm not slow because I was very, very sharp. But I don't feel sharp, but I'm having my coffee. Yep. Uh, we went across the green yesterday and the listeners will be amazed to hear we drank a load of gin. <laughs> and um, so... It's been a bit of a slow morning. Uh, it's a very boozy village. It's very hard to get out the door without somebody thrusting a glass into your hand. Um, and then you have to have the presence of mind to thrust it back, which I rarely do. <laughs> it's not doing your liver any favours where you live, is it? No. 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 Stand and deliver. Do you deliver, etc., etc. <laughs> We appear to be merging bits of Adam Ant with bits of Peter Kay. Exactly. It yes. is an unlikely combo. Adam Kay, Peter Ant, whatever. Peter uh, Kay would not have looked good in that gear, would he? Uh, no, but to be fair, I wouldn't like to see Adam Ant on the stage for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> whatever he was doing. Just a table full of car batteries. That might be a bit of an obscure joke. But he threw a car battery through a pub window, apparently, and got arrested. Who, Peter Gay? No, Adamant. Oh, right. Or the so, bloke who, I mean, he's not really Adamant, is he? What's no. his real name? I, do you know what? I don't know. Don't know. Anthony Adams, perhaps. But it could be. <laughs> You're Ant, aren't you? I am Ant, yes. You probably have yeah. a natural affinity with yeah, Highway with, with, with Adam. It was, I think he was, do you know what? Prince Charming was one of the first albums I actually bought myself. There you go. Yes. Did you do uh, the old? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Thing. Every time I saw and every time I saw Diana Dawes, that's exactly what I did. Diana Dawes. She's not still alive, is she? I would very much doubt it. She's probably in a boarding house somewhere, <laughs> going. I can't possibly make you breakfast, darling. <laughs> I used to be Diana Dawes and I, I shagged out. Literally, I would imagine. <laughs> oh, that's probably libel or slander. Yeah. Can't remember which. Anyway. Oh, pornographer, Anthony. I know, I know, I know. Isn't it, isn't it Adamant that's written on all those urinals? No, oh, that's Armitage Shanks. No, that, no, that's rhyming slang. <laughs> Adam Ant's written on all those rhymes. I'm sure it says Adam Ant, which I'm assuming is adamant uh, or something. Oh, of that maybe ilk. that's an up north thing. Maybe that's the urinals up north. I don't think we have those down south. Right? Do you not remember from your from when I was up north? Yeah. No, I've I've blanked the urinals out. <laughs> For some reason. Brilliant. Just got the title for the episode. <laughs> That's great. I love it when that happens so early on. <laughs> I've blanked the urinals <clears throat> out. There we have it. Um, <laughs> Michael Darigo. Oh, yes. I think it's Darigo. D mm. uh, apostrophe He's with an apostrophe, isn't he? Yeah. No, I, I know. I know. 
And he's in Forest Hills, New York. Mm. I'm assuming that's New York State, but I don't know. Might be New York City, not quite that's sure. That's where they play the tennis, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I think that's Forest Hills. There's a tennis tournament there. I thought that was Flushing Meadow. That's what they call your rhinos down south. <laughs> anyway, Michael, <laughs> bless him, has invited... Well, he's invited you, but then, then well, you know, me as well, as a kind of a bit of an afterthought, he's invited us onto his podcast. Oh, blimey, has he got one as well? Yes, it's called The Missing Reel, and it's all about films, at which point I did have to chuckle. Oh, well, you, you should probably go on your own. I don't think I can contribute much to that unless it's about Apocalypse Now and the, or The Graduate. That, that's what? basically it. Well, he did say, do you want to come and on and discuss your favourite film? And, and as I was reading it, I thought, oh, The Apocalypse Now special. <clears throat> so we need mm. to get back in touch with Michael. Okay. And, and, and make a decision whether we want to go on The Missing Reel or not. Oh. Mm. Well, maybe we could do a kind of fusion podcast. Where Ooh. we're on his at the same time as he's, he's on, on ours. ours. Now, that's a really good idea. Mm. I'm liking that. Michael, if you're listening, get back in touch. That's That seems like a plan. Um, John Darms, uh, oh, yes. I think he's Darms, D-A-H-M-S from mm. Kent, informs us that the guy who plays the saw oh, yeah. uh, is a guy called Henry Dagg, D-A-G-G. Is he the only uh, one? Well, I, I was told there was only one professional saw player. <laughs> I got it. Bloody hell. I didn't know I didn't realise you had a comic sneeze. That's a great oh, I sneeze. Do. That you are, that oh. was just the restrained one. That yes, was it the was. Bro- that was a broadcast quality one. Yes. You should hear the ones I do when I'm not on mic. <laughs> anyway, I was like told there was only one Jack professional Douglas. saw player. <laughs> I'm trying to get you back Jack, on track. The, the Jack Douglas sneeze. Fire! <laughs> uh. Anyway, back to saw players. I was told there's only one professional saw player. John reckons it's this guy, Henry Dagg. But what he says is that if you do a bit of Googling, a bit of YouTubing and Googling, yeah. that Henry's a bit of a character. Oh, no he, shit. Yeah, he used to pay <laughs> in a really good Genesis, Genesis? Genesis tribute band. Right. Uh, and he used to have Tony Banks round to his house to help him tune his vintage keyboards. Good God. That's impressive. Well, that was very kind of Tony. Yeah. Isn't it? I, You'd have I thought can't... he'd have gone, are you having a laugh? Where's my limo? But, but, but no, he went, no, I'll come round and help and tune you. tune your, yeah, your keyboards. Yeah, with my yeah. toolkit. I can only imagine he didn't tell the rest of his bandmates because his bandmates' instant reaction would have been, well, can we have Tony in the band rather than you? Yeah, yeah, no, they would have done. Yeah. But then he probably would have, he'd have had to draw the line at that, I think. I think Tony. so, I think so. And maybe Tony didn't tell his bandmates in case they asked him to tune his own keyboards. <laughs> Still don't know if it's slander or libel, but we'll work, we'll work it out. Um, anyway, apparently Tony is, uh, not Tony, Henry is mm-hmm. super talented, but a bit barmy. Yeah, that tends, that one tends to go with the with other. With the other. In my and experience. John's, uh, John's description was like Van Gelis meets Monty Python. Oh. Which I'm kind of intrigued by, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Has he made any records? Well, I think you just need to go and YouTube him. Henry Dagg, D-A-G-G. So at some point I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I think it's probably less scary than Fairy Love, possibly. Maybe we should have him on. We should maybe have him on the podcast. He sounds like our kind of guy. He does sound like our kind of guy, doesn't he? We could have him playing his saw and just chatting about tuning his organ. <laughs> right, I thought that pause was long enough for everybody to regroup. <laughs> uh, Josephine Elliott, bless her, yeah. the, the prog priestess, oh. sh- she thinks that Hope for the Future has got the same vibe as the live version of In Your Eyes by uh, Peter G. All oh, right. Well, I'd say uh, thank you very much. Yeah, you'll take that, won't you? Yeah, damn right. Yeah, it's a cracking, cracking track. It is a cracking track. And the live version, particularly the one on the Secret World album, is fantastic. Um, yeah, that's you, a killer song. Oh, it is superb, superb. Um, quick, a couple of other quick bits and then we're done. Uh, Cliff Lewis, yes, it is H's doorbell on the uh, beginning of the, uh, of, of the pod. 
Um, And it was rung live, and all of that thing on the beginning was done as a piece of slight cod overacting, uh, but it was all done in your doorway, wasn't it? It was. Not only that, but every time I play the podcast when I'm editing it, somebody gets up and answers the door without fail, and the dog goes mental. And you don't do that for effect, do you? <laughs> I don't do anything for effect. <laughs> All right, okay. I'm very serious. <laughs> I'm a very serious and unselfconscious human being. All of those you, things. You should look at the... Can you see that bruise on my arm? I can see that bruise on your can arm, you actually. Yeah? Just in that place where you might inject something, yeah? I've got another one here. Oh, good grief. How come? Because Well, I went to Milton Keynes Hospital to have my head examined on... Um, Friday, right? Uh, or I thought I was going to have my head examined, uh, and they invited me in and they tested my ears instead, and then they shuffled me off to the, a consultant audiologist, right? Um, and she didn't examine my head either. She said I didn't need it, but um, I begged to differ, right? So she said, oh, well, I will examine your head then, if you'd like it's examined. I said, well, yeah, I would, frankly, because I'm interested as to what might be in there. Mm. And uh, so she said, well, what was it she said? It can affect your kidneys, apparently, this scanner or something. So you, you've got to have a blood test um, to check that your kidneys are all right before you can go and go and have the um, your head examined. So, I was, she said to save you coming all the way back, I can book you in right now, which set off an alarm. Yes, it did. <laughs> I could, I could book you. Oh, stop now. I could book you in right now. She said. So I said, oh, lovely. So she gave me a, a sticker and sent me down a corridor and down a flight of stairs. And uh, I picked up a little card saying number one. And after a while, I was called in to this room with three nurses who were all in bad... Well, one one of them was in a particularly bad mood and she was the one I got. Um, Whilst the other two looked on behind her and rolled their eyes as if to say, we're sorry, uh, but you've got got her. Uh, So she put me in a chair... And um, there was all these little signs on the wall. <laughs> so interesting facts about blood. So I was sitting there going, bloody hell, I didn't know that. And Oh, isn't that amazing? And nobody was interested in the fact that I, I was going, well, I'm glad I came. Do you know that cows have 55, as many as 55 different blood types? No. You know, we have kind of, we've got A and B and O yeah. and A pos and A neg and all of that. They've got 55. So, given a cow a blood transfusion, is probably you probably need to show up with a very large bag. Um, you know, and and what, what else was it? Some, some creatures, some lizards and other, I can't remember what else, have green blood. And I'm going, good Lord, that's amazing. I'm trying to get a conversation going and this, this nurse in the bad mood is not having any of it. No. She said, don't put that there. Don't put that there. Sit down. This arm. Ooh, ooh. So she started with my right arm and slapped a thing around the, you know, a tight thing around the top. Uh, now I have very deep veins Right. No one can ever find one. I could never be a smack addict because I'd never find one to stick a needle in. Um, and nobody ever can. In fact, once, I don't know if I've told you this, once we, I, I had an allergic... Did I tell you about the allergic reaction and the Portuguese nurse with giving me the injection? Uh, I had an allergic reaction to seafood in, in Gibraltar and then we went to Lisbon and... Um, they ordered a nurse to come and give me an antihistamine injection and this, this fella turned up at the sound check. He was a bloke. He was quite an old fella, a bit like, you know, I don't know, you know, like Peter Sellers. Doctor Who. In, uh, you know, like Peter John, Se- John Pertwee turned up. <laughs> like, yeah, like Peter Sellers after the visit to the fancy <laughs> dress shop. He was a bit like that. 
And he came, he came shuffling in and opened his bag. And he couldn't find a vein either. And he's slapping away at me, slapping away at my arm. And then I noticed he'd broken a sweat. And the sweat was dripping off his chin. I was thinking, that's not good, is it? You don't, I'm the one who's supposed to be worried about this. And if he's this worried, I'm starting to worry. Anyway, anyway cut back to Milton Keynes last week. So she's slapping away. Stuck this needle in my arm. She said, oh, I think that might be one. She stuck this big needle in. Jesus Christ, it was painful. And she's digging about in my arm with this needle. And I'm kind of... Wincing. She says, that's really hurting. And I've given blood before. It didn't hurt that much. Uh, so then she took it out and said, oh, I can't find one. Give me the other arm. So, so she had the other arm. Mm. And she she managed to get a, get some blood out the other arm, uh, and she's bruised me to hell. She has. So uh, there we are, mm. grumpy. No wonder she's grumpy. Oh, she don't know what she's doing. No. Anyway, no. but anyway, with, what, with that NHS. and the three percent pay rise, no wonder the nurses are grumpy, is there? So I blame Boris for this bruise. If you'd given her ten percent, there'd probably been no trouble at all. Yeah, but. To be fair, you wouldn't want him doing it because did you see him try to actually, you know, put an umbrella up the other day? Yeah, I wouldn't let Boris butter my toast. No. Let alone stick a needle in me. No. He's an imbecile. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Anyway, anyway, one more bit of aside before we get to the episode proper. Griff, there's no time left. Um, <laughs> Lobster Linda. Oh, yeah. Um, hi, hi, Linda. How are you? Uh, all the way from Froome. Um, Froome. She's been wondering when I might pause for breath and um, pause with the introduction just to see how long you can hold your breath. Because obviously we did that last week. I think she might be a sadist. Um, and then she's put gradually increase it each week. That way he'll never notice. But don't tell him I gave you the idea. Oh, like the frog in the boiling water, mm. that thing. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, at least she didn't suggest you put me in a pan of water. No. And gradually mm. turn up the heat. <laughs> Which would have been a good suggestion for someone called Lobster Linda, wouldn't it? It would, it would. Um, well, there we are, mm. Travel Man, Joe's, Joe's in Miami, Crab Claws. That's all I've got to say. That's all you got to say. That's where I'm going. I think you should. Anyway, <clears throat> one final swipe at 1996 today. <laughs> one final swipe to try and bring the year together with some kind of aplomb. In the face with the back of a glove. In, in exactly, exactly <laughs> like that. A velvet glove, obviously. <laughs> I bet you've got some of those gloves, haven't you? <laughs> Yes, extra long, yes. just for slapping people yes. with a backhand motion and yes. challenging them to a duel. I've never quite yes. understood that because that that's supposed to kind of, you know, invoke fear, but it's quite a camp gesture, isn't it? Well, I think it should... I think it's a gesture of disdain, ah, right. to be honest. I think it's disdain. So you slap your opponent in the face in a camp fashion with a glove, to say you're not worth that. And then, of course, you've dishonoured him, so he's forced to challenge you to a duel. And is that how it played out in the pubs of Donny in the late 70s? There's a lot of it goes on in the village. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure see there this, is. You see this village great. There's just blood everywhere. Yeah, discarded velvet handwear. <laughs> and dead bodies. And dead bodies. Only place in the country that's got a, a sword sharpener. <laughs> right, one final swipe with the back yeah. of a velvet glove at 1996. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. we've established that you did actually write and record TSE in that year. Right. Which is good. And we've had a little bit of chat about some of the tracks, which is which was also good. So what I want to get on to, because obviously it's Castle, so it's new record label, so I want to get on to some of the other behind-the-scenesy stuff and whether it was you got more involved, less involved, because it was, you know, a bit more hands-on with Castle. 
Mm-hmm. So first off, and I think you it's mentioned somewhere. Rothers says it in in, in an, uh, an interview about the about the. Uh, the sleeve and the actual packaging because it's it's like a gatefold cd sleeve in fact i have it i have it here somewhere hang on there we have it <clears throat> so it's a it's a was that the one with the spare hole in it that that's oh, the one with that? the spare hole. Uh, no well, well yes because you could have slipped something in there couldn't you there's a spare sleeve right. bit but not a spare hole oh okay uh, no, so we had a we had a cardboardy effort I wonder who took those photographs. That could have been... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So, oh, what? <clears throat> quite quite a departure from previous albums. First, right. car- first cardboardy one, as far as I can tell, mm. for an album. Mm. Um, mm. Did you much involvement with, with this? That bloke built that, didn't he? He did. Photographed it. We had a bloke who built... Where did we find him? I think that might have been Hugh Gilmore, who was, who was in charge of art at Castle at the time. I think he had a mate who made models. And so he made a little strange engine mm. and it was photographed. And uh, so that was a real thing. It wasn't mocked up. It was a, obviously it wasn't a real engine. You couldn't go driving in it. Or anything. It was just a little plastic, modelly thing. Hadn't come out of Genevieve, uh, had it? <laughs> no, no, no. It hadn't. It or or an old farm barn, um, an old thresher. Um, no, it was just a model, and it was photographed. I remember that. And then someone did that. Um, someone did that. That little pen and ink drawing as well of all the little bits of mathematics well, and tubes and all I th- that. And I think we made an- that into a backdrop for the tour. You you did. I think it's a chap called Andrew uh, Gent or Gent. Andrew Gent. He might have also been the guy who made the model. I think he did. I think that's yeah. what the, the sleeve notes allude to him doing both of those things. How big was it then, the strange engine? Now, he sounds like a urinal. <laughs> Um, how big was it? I can't remember. I mean, it's huge now because we, we, we put it on a backdrop for the tour. And I think it still hangs up in the racket club to this very day because when we when we built the racket club, we used a lot of old backdrops to deaden the sound. So we've got all the old holidays in Eden ones up there. And I think we've got the old you strange have. engine I can, ones. I can so. confirm you have. Got yeah, yeah um, so it's still it's still dangling. So it it was enormous in the end. No, I, I think I, I it didn't mean the backdrop. Re- I meant the actual en- the strange engine thing itself. Oh, oh the engine. Um, yeah, that was sort of that big. That big. Right. You perhaps you should explain to the listeners how what that big is. Um, well, it's about Not twelve it. inches, isn't it? There you go. Don't use it as a rule. Indeed, all of that. Yeah. All of that. All of that. So it was about that sort of big, and he made it with bits of. You know, in a very Star Wars kind of style, I imagine. A plasticky thing, yeah, a bit of old, old bits of old plumbing, I think. Yeah. And then I think the the yellow glow in the heart was then, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, these days it would be CGI. Was CGI photoshopped? Yes, that that photoshopped on. Right. Um, and that's all I really remember about it. Um, I don't... I mean, we didn't really get that involved in the process, but we all thought it was cool to have a geezer making a little model. Mm, I think that's brilliant. Um, and it uh, it began our fine tradition of brown album covers <laughs> as well. Which There's a lot of brown <laughs> on that album cover. There's a lot of brown. <laughs> Well, that's always my first question when, when when any artwork comes to it's not brown, is it? There's a lot of brown. That's the <laughs> I think that's the brownest cover you've done. That we really we really went for brown. Didn't oh, we, on that? oh, br- brown and Bra- brown know, and proud. Uh, they're, they're very that's much what it is. brown, brown and proud. Yes, it's like it's like if there was a pride sort of flag for brown, that would be it. Yeah, uh, the brown rainbow. 
The brown rainbow sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like an I'm ailment. Still that. trying to get away from his urinal. <laughs> oh dear. I've got a nasty case of the brown rainbows. Ooh, that needs a bit of toilet duck out of your urinal. Nasty bit of brown rainbow there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got distracted yet again. Right, so so artwork packaging. Interestingly, who's in the arrival? Uh, sorry, carry on. <laughs> two possible art titles for the podcast now. Um, <laughs> interesting album. Normal gum from the album. All the normal yeah. things. All the normal credits. All the normal bits and pieces. All fine. Mm-hmm. Um, first time I see on one of your albums, people invited to email details in. If you want details about Marillion, email. Mm. First time, I think, 1997, what? email. That would have been it, yeah. That was the, um, was that the album Mad Jack had the brilliant idea of, you know, if you email us, you can have another album. There's another album to go with this. It was either TSC or .com, but it, it, it was, no, because TSC was the first album we did with Castle, wasn't it? Yes. And then I think we did... Another one or two. It was radi- came radiation after? came next? Did it? Mm. Oh, it wasn't that. So it must have been dot com. Um, so we were inviting people to email as early as TSE. As we? early as TSE. So that decision would have been made in either late ninety six or early ninety seven um, to put yeah, that on the sleeve. That was the beginning of us getting on to let's find out who our listeners mm. are because then we have the power. Mm. Which you which, which you still have. We all we got we have the power now. Cool. The was distant that, sound of horses whinnying. Was that supposed to be Welsh? <laughs> um anyway, anyway, so the other question I then have are two more questions actually. Hmm. One, and it's it's in all of them, but I noticed it on this one, about the music publishing. So the publishing is via Charisma and Rondor. Mm. Is that a split because of part you, part the band? Yes, because my um, publishing was signed to Rondo when the Europeans joined A&M because Rondo was the sort of sister uh, publisher to A&M. So you'll see quite a lot of A&M bands signed to Rondo. I think Squeeze was signed to Rondo and... Um, Police? Dire Straits were signed to Rondor. Don't think the police were signed to Rondor, right. but I think Joe Jackson was. Um, and so when the Europeans got offered the deal by A&M, you know, almost immediately the phone rang and it was Stuart Hornell, the uh, MD of uh, Rondor at the time, reeling us in. Uh, and we were reeled in. And what people might not know is that Rondo was a combination of the children's names of Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss. And Herb Alpert, the trumpet player, and Jerry Moss were A&M, A&M. in A&M Records. And their kids were, well, I think one had a kid called Ronnie and one had a kid called Dory or Dora or something. So Rondo was named after their kids. Um and they published an awful lot of those A&M bands. Um, in fact, at the time I signed to Rondor, the managing director was a guy, well, he left soon after, but it was a guy called Bob Grace. And Bob Grace, I think, signed David Bowie at one point. And there's another story about Bob Grace and, and someone else, can't remember who, going down to the Marquee Club because they'd heard about this band called Squeeze that, you know, there was a bit of a buzz around. So they went down to see them and they got there early and there was a band opening for Squeeze called Dire Straits and they signed both of them on the same night because they said, oh, they're not bad either. And Dire Straits paid the rent on the building for about the next (laughs) 20 years. Um so uh, that's not a bad night's work, is it? That's a jammy bastard. That's what that is. Yeah. Bob Grace was a jammy bastard. Yeah. Um, anyway, he left. Um, he left at about the same time as Derek Green left A and M, 
and they both danced off into the sunset and set up a company called China Records. And I don't, I don't think they had a massive amounts of success and that sort of came to an end. But after Bob Grace left, Stuart Hornell, who was the general manager, he then became the manager and director of Rondor and he signed us. Um, and so my publishing was all wrapped up with Rondor. Uh, the band's publishing had been wrapped up with Charisma Records. Uh, I think it was a guy called Tony Stratton Smith who signed um, who signed Marillion uh, to Charisma, and so that was why. So my publishing was Rondor, theirs was Charisma. Then at some point, I think they did a deal with EMI Music, and so now I think the band's. The band's publishing, I think some of the band's publishing ended up at EMI Music. I was still at Rondor. Then Rondor sort of, then, then Rondor became Hornell Brothers Music, which was, uh, Stuart left Rondor, set up his own publishing called Hornell Brothers. And we signed, God, stop, stop me if you're nodding off, because this is, isn't it amazing that I know this and, and nothing else? I'm a little astonished. <laughs> <laughs> we signed we signed our no more no more music publishing we, we we set up our own company called no more music publishing um with a k n o w no more um and 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 Hornell brothers collected the royalties for that for no more and then Stuart retired and now bmg own it right and on it goes. And is it all the lovely Janet Anderson? Is it all now in one place then, or are, are things? Do people still no, own different bits? Be, no, because all those old songs are still owned by Rondor and Charisma. Mm. You can't get them back. Um, you really can't get them back unless you get into a kind of Michael Jackson, yeah, offering them thirty million quid for it, and we're we're not in that position, right? So, so they remain the, you know, what tends to happen is they, as, I, as I've said before, when you sign to a company, time passes in that and they, they either change all the people to people who aren't really that interested in you and yet you're still stuck with them or they sell the entire company to another company, you know, which is then sold to another company and you end up being owned by Warner Brothers or Walt Disney or Coca-Cola or Microsoft at the end of the day, and they end up, you know, taking all the decisions about your your career without even knowing who you are. So it's a shame that happens. It's a shame you can't stick with the people who are excited mm. about you in the first place. But, of course, they're just businessmen. They may be excited about you, but they're not. They're not taking you to their grave. No, they're going to give you six or seven years, and then they're going to move on. So you're bundled up and sold on fairly regularly, <laughs> like a subprime mortgage, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Toxic. <laughs> a toxic, toxic subprime. Uh, <laughs> or a toxic asset. <laughs> toxic asset. It's a third title for the podcast. Right, let's go to some diary. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll Did we get back to 1996 yet? I, I think some of that... Oh, actually, I'll tell you what I've forgotten to ask. Oh, go, go on then. Um, is there going to be a... Because obviously we've just done a load of, of these reissues, deluxe things, huge, mm. what have you. What about the castle stuff? What about, you know, are you going to move on to um, TSE and radiation and .com? Yeah, I think that that would make a lot of sense, subject to us finding out who the hell owns it now. Because I think all the Castle stuff was then sold to Sanctuary Music. So then Rod Smallwood had it. And Christ alone knows where it's gone now, whether he's sold it on again. I don't know. I don't know where it all went. It might still be on Sanctuary. Right. So then we'd have to speak to Sanctuary about that. Right. And they'd probably be up for it because there's money to be made. Um, so, but I, I, I think I overheard Mark Kelly talking about that the other day because it's the kind of thing Mark talks about. Um, and um, 
I, th- I could be wrong, but I thought I heard heard him muttering about doing, you know, sort of re- remasters and remixes mm. of of the later material as well. I think I think there is a plan to do that going forward. Because mm. the as you as we get past anorachnophobia and we move out from there. The albums were plusher anyway. They often came with extra material. You know, um, you, you're into the fan club, release, into the um, pre-order releases and what have you. But these three sort of never really, you know, there's the album and that's kind of it, isn't it? I know you remix, I know Mike remix Radiation. But yeah, other than that, nothing's been really done with those albums at all. No, but um, uh, yeah, t- time will tell. Hmm. I mean, did you? The general feeling in the band, and I don't even, I'm not sure I shared it, but there was a general feeling in the band that the original mix of radiation was a bit hard sounding and that could be improved upon. And no, undoubtedly, Mike's remix blows the original mix away. I mean, he, he did a great job of that. Um, but the feeling, I think Dave Megan mixed. TSC. You did. And so, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, it sounds great. So it might be an interesting exercise to get a geezer to, uh, to, remix, to remix it. Mm. I mean, there's a guy called Danton Supple who was an assistant engineer when we recorded Holidays in Eden. Um, and he's done very well, and he's he. I think he did a, a rush of blood to the head for Carl Play's pre- producer, and he's done all sorts of stuff. So we could maybe ask him. There's a there's a chap, um, the keyboard player from Elbow. What's his name? He produces Elbow, and their records sound amazing. Mm. And I was having a chat with him after an Elbow show. Lovely bloke. And he said, well, if you ever need anything remixing, give me a shout. Potter, Craig Potter, I think he's called. Uh, and he's brilliant. Um, so, you know, if Mike didn't have time to think about a TSC remix, there are people out there, who, you know, with great track records, who, who, who it might be an interesting exercise to have somebody from outside come in and do that. Mm. But time will tell. Time will tell. Right, let's head off. AOS Tours just about to hit the UK shores. You're about to have a relatively short and, I don't know the way of putting it really, quite unmemorable night in Wolverhampton. Uh, Yes, I didn't say much about that, did I? No, you didn't. No, you didn't. (laughs) Apart from Mark missing the train. Well, yeah, Mark Mark didn't even want to come, did he, to Wolverhampton? Uh, Bless him. Um, And then we move out from there. He's never been any trouble. (laughs) And then we move out from there. So come on then, let's 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 big up big up the black country. Okay. Well, Wolverhampton's normally great, but on this occasion, I don't think it was. No. It must must have just been a, a stinker of a gig, technically, probably. I, I mean, I didn't even say why it was wrong, <laughs> did. did I? Move on uh, quickly. So move it on. Must have been must have been particularly traumatic. It was the equivalent um, of trying to get blood out of one of your arms. <laughs> well, both of them. Both of them. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I may sweat blood, but uh, uh, it's not too easy to get it out of my veins. <laughs> Prospective title number four. Um, here comes Wolverhampton, folks. My fate to kill him, Tuesday, 19th of September, Cambridge to Wolverhampton, Civic. Didn't sleep at all well. I got through the night in 20-minute naps, unable to fall into deep sleep. I gave up trying at 8.30, so I decided I would get up and go back into Cambridge and continue the search for new trousers. I took a cab into town through rush hour traffic and returned to a shop with Paul Smith's stuff in the window. No luck. They didn't have anything that looked good once tried on. I ordered a cab back to the hotel, packed and checked out. 
had a spotted breakfast with Paul and then left for Wolverhampton in the hire car. There was just the two of us. Ian had gone overnight on Sunday with the crew. Mark had gone home and was coming up on the train. I tried to sleep during the journey but couldn't. We arrived at the Britannia Hotel in Wolverhampton and set about the protracted process of checking in. I wanted a non-smoking room and that's what seemed to cause all the trouble. I decided to leave them to it, so I left my bags in reception and walked down to the Civic Hall in order to retrieve a pair of my old boots. My new shoes were still killing me. My fate are killing me. It was a rare pleasure to get backstage and lace myself into footwear that didn't hurt. I walked back to the hotel through the streets of Wolverhampton, which seemed to comprise mostly of building societies, banks and fish and chip shops. Mark never made it to soundcheck, having forgotten to get off the train and ended up in Liverpool or somewhere. It didn't help. At least he got to Wolverhampton for the gig, which wasn't terrific. Wednesday, 20th September. Wolverhampton to Manchester. Apollo. Woke at 11 to the ringing telephone. It was Paul telling me I have an interview with the Times and could I come to his room when I'm awake and call them. I couldn't get the shower to work, so I ran a bath and cleaned my teeth, trying to wake up and become articulate enough for a chat with a proper newspaper. The phone rang again while I was soaking in the bath. I returned to the bedroom, naked and dripping, to discover it was Paul again, trying to hurry me up. If you look through the window, you'll be able to see me, he said. Sure enough, there he was, at the window opposite my room, grinning at my wet nakedness. You should close your curtains, you know, he said. I got dry and dressed and hurried over to Paul's room, where he called the journalist in question, Nicola Venning. She was writing a column in the business section about people who work from home and rely on computer technology for their work. Angie Moxham, my newfound PR friend, had connected me to her. Like everyone else, she thought Marillion as some kind of Scottish heavy metal band. I explained the truth to her and invited her to the London show next week. The interview went well and she said she was more than happy with what we'd done. A lot of talk about my Macintosh PowerBook 100. Apple ought to give me a freebie after all that. They didn't. I checked out at the Britannia and we left Wolverhampton for Manchester. It didn't take long. After America, all these British dates feel like they're next door to each other. Checked into Sasha's Hotel, which looks like a nightclub from the outside, and had a spot of brunch in the hotel restaurant with Ian. I'm currently nursing an injury somewhere in my upper back, which is causing a lot of pain in my left arm. I felt something happened during the forum show in London and it's been hurting like hell ever since. The hotel in Manchester had a health centre, so I asked if there was any chance of a massage. They hadn't got a masseur, but they booked me in at the Britannia Hotel down the road for 4pm. It was only three, so I had a session on the sunbed first. The band left for soundcheck at 3.45, so I got Paul to drop me off. The massage was a bargain at only a fiver. I remember being charged over £100 for the one I had in Paris on the last tour. Anyway, the massage helped to ease the pain a little, but not as much as I'd hoped. Paul returned to pick me up at 4.30 and drove me down to the Apollo, where there were a few fans gathered at the stage door. I could already hear the band sound-checking, so I didn't stop to chat. Soundcheck went well. Mark Kelly had joined us today. The Apollo has a round-fronted stage which sweeps forward in front of the PA system, so if I'm in the middle, up at the edge, I can hear the out-front sound and watch the band without leaving the stage. I did this during Easter and basked in the phenomenal sound Privet put together. He just keeps getting better. I haven't heard a vocal sound as good as this since I saw Peter Gabriel back in 87 at the Bercy in Paris. I was singing well, much better than yesterday in Wolverhampton. We returned to the hotel where I spent an hour enjoying Das Boot, a rerun of the excellent German drama based on a U-boat crew hunting the Atlantic convoys during the Second World War. 
It's beautifully shot, like a Bergman movie, and brilliantly directed and performed. I feel claustrophobic watching it. I can smell the oil and the sweat and the tension between men crammed together in a small, enclosed metal machine. Essential viewing. We returned to the Apollo for the show, which was, I think, the best so far. The sound was terrific, as I knew it would be, and we had no technical problems. My voice was feeling powerful and controllable, and once again, Jeff Hooper's concert sound monitors were dreamlike. The team we have with us on this tour are probably the best I've worked with in their respective fields. You can't really go wrong with people like this around you. After the show, my spirits were high. I spent almost half an hour in the shower enjoying the slow-burning return from exhaustion and sweat to reality and freshness. I went back down to the stage to watch the crew clearing the last few pieces of equipment. Priv invited me next door to join the crew in an after-show drink. While I was outside signing stuff for the after-show hangers, I learned from Paul that his wife Annie was not well and that he was to return to Liverpool, so I told him I would improvise my way back to the hotel after I'd had a drink with the chaps, i.e. ask the crew bus driver for a lift. The crew were in high spirits, especially after the lows of last night. I sat enjoying the wind-ups and listening to the banter between Priv and Alan and between Brian and our dear cook, Helen, and the universe according to Cod, our merchandiser, and East London loudmouth. All in fine form, like pirates after a successful raid. I had a couple of bottles of Newcastle Brown after the handful of becks I'd consumed during the gig and was saved from sickness by the landlady who denied my demands for a snowball to finish it off. I was surrounded by the local crew of Manchester's finest, huge, tattooed, shaven-headed, hobnail-booted hard cases. I can't resist ordering snowballs when I'm in such company. It always elicits an amusing four-lettered response. Fell out of the pub feeling somewhat vague and onto the crew bus where I ate a sandwich, the contents of which remained peculiar but undiscovered. To my relief, I managed to get to sleep at the hotel without discovering later what was in the sandwich. What a great day. Thursday, 21st of September, Leeds Town and Country Club. Woke feeling remarkably unhungover. However, on getting out of bed, I realised that the pain in my arm was worse than ever. A sort of cramp in my upper left arm, which seems to be coming from my left shoulder blade. I decided to cancel my hotel in Leeds and go overnight to Glasgow with the crew, so I called Paul on his mobile to let him know. He was already back from Liverpool and downstairs settling up the hotel bill. I asked him how his wife was feeling. He said it's food poisoning, so all self-induced. He's all heart. It was still half an hour before checkout time, so I went down to the health centre for another half hour on the sunbed. When I checked out, there were no telephone charges on my extras. My phone had been behaving strangely. Whoopee! We drove the M62 across the Pennines and past the huge reservoir, reduced to a small lake by this summer's drought. The Yorkshire Water Authority are already planning water rations. There is, of course, no greenhouse effect, just a lot of hysterical hippie talk. We arrived at the Holiday Inn in Leeds and I dropped my bags behind reception for Paul to bring to the show. I hung on to my laptop so that I could catch up on the diary. I found a shoe repair shop, bought dubbin and laces for my boots and had some of the lace holes repaired before wandering off in search of a certain cafe I'd discovered last time. I think I'm a creature of habit. I'm always on the lookout for new, pleasant and interesting things, but I remain loyal to my past discoveries too. It took a while to find it, but I eventually settled down with a huge cappuccino and a sandwich and began tapping away at the keys of this machine to record yesterday's events. I spent all afternoon in there and eventually wandered off in the general direction of the town and country, stopping to ask for directions on the way. Sound check was uneventful, that's how I like them. All our events are usually technical problems. Today is Amy's birthday. Amy is the new cook. 
so I wished her a happy birthday as she served me up with tuna steak with carrots and courgettes. After sound check, I climbed aboard the bus and slept for an hour before returning back through the front entrance, failing to recognise my sisters, Jill and Sue, who were having trouble getting in. I'd got their names wrong. I'd forgotten about them being married. I'd also forgot to leave passes for my old school chum, John Leedale, who must have had the time of his life persuading security to let him in. Oh well, never mind. The show went really well, despite the fact that I was still on the loo and the intro music was already playing. I only just made it. The crowd lived up to my memories of them from the Brave tour, going fairly berserk from the moment we started until the end. Afterwards, I decided I would go and chat to my guests before I showered so as not to keep them waiting. I returned to the hall barefoot, wearing my bathrobe inside out, and said hello to mum and dad and sisters. They seemed a little tired, so I didn't stop long, and returned upstairs to shower under the gig's excellent Aqualisa showers. It's the little things. I packed and went down to the crew bus, where I had a long chat with Jeff, who told me all about Concert Sound, the PA company he's part of, along with his immaculate cousin, Adrian. He told me how it had all started in the 70s with Wem Columns and how they had bought the first ever Martin system and the first Midas desk, how they had gone on to help the designers perfect the components and on through various systems and bands until today. He's almost evangelical in his passion for the ultimate PA. It's always a treat to listen to the history of a labour of love especially when you can appreciate the end result to the extent that I do. We all went upstairs to sing happy birthday to Amy and share strawberry cream cake and champagne. I didn't drink mine, the stuff gives me a headache. I walked up to the front of the bus to get undressed. Tim, Alan and Brian were at the front upstairs, gazing out at the road which was weaving its way up between the wild hills of North Yorkshire. I said goodnight and slept fitfully, unable to cope with the size of the pillow, obviously designed for real men with broad shoulders. And we're back. Um, And uh, a a nice few days, Diary, there. Um, Need to ask about Angie Moxham. New name, not heard Angie's name before. Uh, you describe her as your new PR friend. Mm. Well, we were very, very good friends at one point, Angie and I. And then she took up with Mark and uh, things went a bit pear-shaped. And uh, then they got divorced. Then it got even uglier. And now she wants nothing to do with him, me or anyone else. Um and we'll draw a line under that one. <laughs> I didn't realise it was that, Angie. <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, Angie and I were really good mates uh, up until... Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it didn't. It did take quite a long time to go wrong. You know, mm. Mark and Angie were... were uh, they got on very well for a very long time and then it went sour for whatever reason and uh, there we are. It's but she was doing PR for you. Yeah, well, she's a, she owns a PR company. Um, oh. When I met her, she was part of a PR company called uh, Lefebvre, which was a girl called Joy Lefebvre, uh, and Ange worked for her. And then at some point, Ange went solo and formed another PR company called Three Monkeys. Um, and they offered... You know, they offered to do our PR. I don't think they were even charging us at that point. They just, I think they saw us as an intellectual exercise. Uh, maybe they saw us as a, as a challenge. <laughs> we certainly are. I mean, we're not PRable because, <laughs> no. you know, we're really not PRable. There's nothing you can do with certain members of this band, you know, because they won't cooperate and they won't change and they won't they won't play play PR ball um so you're just going to end up tearing your hair out 
I mean, at one point, she suggested I go and have peer. Uh, what is it? What do they call it? Media media training. They send people off, you know. They send politicians off for media training and then they all start doing this when they're talking. I don't know if you ever noticed. <laughs> or you can see, well, they've been told to do that. You start seeing all these body, you know, the Tony Blair yeah. hands. Um, and you think, well, I think once somebody's been media trained, then by definition it's bye-bye sincerity. Yeah. You know, and, and who wants that out of a... I mean, nobody wants that out of me. Um, so media training would be of no use to me. It would, it would, I wouldn't go for a kick-off. But if I was to go, I don't think they'd have a lot of luck with me because, no. the, you know, it's not sincere, is it? Where's the truth in any of that? It's all about playing a game. I mean, the only thing I do know, and I and I never do it anyway, is that, you know, item one of media training is no matter what they ask you, decide what it is you're going to say during the interview. So if what you're going to say during the interview is, um, Mr Johnson, oh, well, we spent £4 billion on National Health Service last year, Make sure you say that, even if they ask you about ice cream. So, you know, what do you think of ice cream, Mr Johnson? And he'll say, ice cream? Um, did you know we spent £4 billion on the NHS last year? So you've got to make sure that you go into an interview knowing what you're, what you're there to say. And so, of course, if you're, if you're doing a promo interview for your next album and they say, how are you, Steve? You say... I'm great because our next album, blah, 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 is so good. And I'm just, I can't do that either. No. So I just go, I'm all right. Look at this bruise on my arm, you know, and I spend 20 minutes talking about that whilst, whilst somebody holds a picture of a rabbit up behind the journalist, you know, trying to get me to shut up. Get on really? a question po- too. Podcast is your perfect format, isn't it? <laughs> the, the ramble. Just yeah. just the fact that, you know, and particularly the fact that TCD doesn't actually involve any questions, and if it does, we quickly move on because you can't remember <laughs> the answers anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm untrainable and ungovernable, I think. That's you are. Two things. There's a T-shirt. And, and that is a nasty bruise. Um, <laughs> Daz, Daz Boot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could, you could do that with Mike. Uh, Herbert Gronemeyer. He was uh, Herbert Gronemeyer was a was a, a German artist as well. He made records, and uh, I remember um, Nick Davis, who who recorded, produced, and mixed uh, Seasons End, did an album with Herbert. Who uh, was a very nice man by all accounts, and mm. you know quite a big star in Germany, but was also in Das Boot. Just well, you I'd could do that in. with Mike for the podcast. You can do a real light-hearted summer special of, of Daz Boot and Apocalypse <laughs> Now. Can I dress I, up for it? Yeah. I, I, I don't know how you would do that without. Um, um, so that, that's, in, that's, that's, that's H's choices, Mike. I'll pick something a little lighter. Can we do um, it in a submarine? We could do. Where's there a submarine? There's one at Birkenhead. Um, I went on a submarine in Birkenhead when we were. We spent so much time in Liverpool uh, working on AOS and Brave. I used to just go for days out and walk about and go go to solariums. I mean, that's another thing in the diary. I'm always yeah. under a solarium. Under a sun lamp. I don't know why. Uh, it was just a phase I went through. Uh, but, yeah, I used to go wandering about in Liverpool and one day I went, I, w- I did the old ferry across the Mersey uh, to Birkenhead and there was a submarine uh, that you could, you know, you paid your money and bought a ticket and you went round the submarine. I don't know if it's still there. I wonder if that's where the Fabs got the whole yellow submarine idea from. Who knows? Um, and I'll finish off this week with, um, well, a couple of things. One... <laughs> 
I love the fact in Leeds you failed to recognise your sisters when you saw them, having then got their names wrong on the guest list because you'd forgotten they'd both got married. Yeah, that seems incredible in the true sense of of not credible. But, I, yeah, if it's in the diary, it must be true. I can't imagine not recognising my own sisters. Jesus, I must have been in a state. Um, Yes, I can't imagine, can't imagine. I had the bad, I had the bad neck again, didn't I? You did. I think you did. That, that, that turned out in the end to have been the muggings. And just the wonderful story of you not finishing off the evening with a snowball after you'd had a bit of a skinful, <laughs> but that this tradition of you in hard-ass working men's pubs ordering a snowball just for the crack. Yeah, just to wind them up. Yeah, I've done that all my life. That's another reason I used to get punched in Doncaster. Um, but when we were at Hook End Manor, which is in the heart of Oxfordshire, we used to go to the local pub sometimes, which was, you know, all full of yokels. And I I, I, I drank nothing but snowballs for that entire album. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there used to be this this pub, I can't remember, Some again, one of the listeners will know, and it may still be there, but there's a pub sort of in the wall, sort of tucked into the wall at the si- on the side of uh, Oxford Apollo Theatre. Manchester. Manchester, sorry, Manchester Apollo, by the backstage door. And so at the end of the night, uh, when the crew had finished loading trucks and whatnot, the, the, the uh, landlady would always keep this place open so that the crew could have a drink after they'd finished work. And this was when it was not exactly legal to do so. Uh, back in the days, it all had to be shot by 11. But she used to keep it open for the stage crew. Uh, and so you'd end up in there um, with all the, the local crew and, and your own crew and... It'd be quite a crack, you know. Mm. Well, it's a, yeah, good, nice venue, Manchester Apollo. Yeah, it's a funny one because it's one of those rooms, and uh, there's a few of them around the world, where you don't hear the hall from the stage. It's that the, it, there's no uh, the sound from the hall doesn't come to the stage, so you always think you're dying on your ass, mm. even if you're going down really well. Uh, you tend to come off stage thoroughly depressed and then people come back and tell you what an amazing night it's been while you shake your head in dismay because you could have heard a pin drop right throughout it. Um, But provided you go to Manchester Apollo knowing that fact, you can kind of allow for it. Mm, Great venue, really nice venue. Some great venues in Manchester, actually. Um, Right, we'll wrap it up there for 67. Um, thanks everybody thanks for for sticking with us Um, and we've we've got nowhere with a crooncast this week I don't know what we're gonna what you're gonna knock together from this week's clues (laughs) I'll think of something you'll think of something it tends to come to me just before I do it you know oh I know that'll work yeah right in which case I'll see you next time Righty, I've got some newbies this week to put in oh, the crooncast. I didn't even put a name in the crooncast last week. I just did Route 66. You did Route 66, And that was yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, we've had a couple of, of, of new members oh, since. And lovely. I, and I will, I will mention them in a minute. In a minute. Well, now even. Take your mind back. I don't know where. Sometime when it always seemed to be just us and them Girls that wore pink, boys that wore blue Boys that always grew up better men than me and you What's a man now? What's a man mean? Is he rough or is he rugged? Is he cultural and clean? Now it's all changed It's gotta change more Cause we think it's getting better But nobody's really sure And so it goes Go round again But now and then we wonder Who the real men are 
Thanks, Colin Hills and Thomas Bro Valley, who's from Switzerland but has another name. Nathaniel Wingate Peasley. Ain't it great to be purple? I should know. Ain't it great to be purple? I should know. I'm covered in bruises. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>